It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Tuesday, November 19th, 2019. On this day in 2017, infamous cult leader Charles Manson died. The last year of his life was shrouded in secrecy, and his death raised more questions than it answered. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today we're covering the death of Charles Manson and the battle for possession of his corpse that followed. First, let's go back to November 19th, 2017. All around the world, people waited to hear what had happened to Manson. His fate was shrouded in secrecy. Journalists and gossip mongers alike were denied information on the nefarious old man. Rumors had spread months before that Manson had been hospitalized. Now those same whispers spread once more. The prison system remained fiercely tight-lipped about Manson's health. They cited privacy laws that prevented them from disclosing the medical records of their inmates. They said only that he was afflicted with a serious illness. Nobody on the outside knew what that meant. Perhaps he had diabetes or Alzheimer's or a complication from a prison stabbing. Anything was possible and nobody had the answers. However, if they had been at a certain hospital in Bakersfield, if they had been in the right parking lot, they would have seen a large van labeled California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. If they had gone inside the hospital, they would have seen a police officer standing outside the door and another standing inside the room itself. They would have seen an 83-year-old Charles Manson handcuffed to a bed, an IV drip inserted into his wrist, heart monitors placed on his chest. The man was dying. His body was gripped by the late stages of colon cancer, a serious illness indeed. The cancer had spread throughout his tissues, tumors sprouting up in his lungs, his kidneys, and his heart. His body was racked with pain, and as he suffered in the hospital bed, his mind left him. All that remained of the infamous cult leader was the excruciating pain that consumed his body. Those prison officials who knew of Manson's disease felt no sympathy for him. Manson had ordered the deaths of seven innocent people, one of whom was with child. His crimes were horrific, and his behavior in prison had not improved in the slightest. While locked up, 
Manson committed over 100 serious rules infractions. He had assaulted other inmates. He had acquired weapons and used them to incite fights. He had thrown hot coffee on prison employees, spat in guards' faces, and made antagonistic threats time and time again. As the guards watched him writhing in his last moments, most could not help but feel that Manson was finally getting what he deserved. By 8.10 p.m. on the 19th, the machines set up to monitor his life began to measure his death. His cancerous kidneys failed, sending toxins and waste into his bloodstream. His heart strained to pump, struggling to force his poisonous blood through his liver, lungs, and brains. Like a car engine trying to run on tar instead of gasoline, his heart was fighting a losing battle. At 8.13 p.m., his heart gave its last pump. 48 years after the vicious murders that made him infamous throughout the world, Charles Manson was finally dead. With his passing, the prison system could tell the world what had occurred. Reporters who had waited with bated breath rushed to print their stories. Most who heard the news rejoiced, but for some, the battle was still yet to come. At 83 years old, Charles Manson was dead, but the fight to claim his body had only just begun. Next, we'll learn that drama could follow Charles Manson even into the grave. Now, back to the story. On November 19, 2017, the infamous cult leader and mass killer, 83-year-old Charles Manson, died of a heart attack. It was a final complication of late-stage colon cancer, and the nature of Manson's disease had been kept hidden from the public eye. Charles Manson first rose to national infamy in August of 1969. Through manipulation and mind control tactics, Manson had managed to convince members of his cult to commit gruesome and violent murders. On August 8th, four Manson family members invaded the home of director Roman Polanski, killed his pregnant wife, Sharon Tate, and also executed four other people who had been staying there at the time. On August 9th, they continued their killing spree and murdered Lino and Rosemary LaBianca, a supermarket executive and a dress shop owner, respectively. These murders were random, but Manson had intended them to incite helter-skelter, an apocalyptic race war. He wanted to destroy the world so he could rise from the ashes and rule as the God King of the New Age. The graphic nature of his crimes, his maniacal motivations, and the fact that many of his followers were well-off, middle-class white kids intrigued the nation. People viewed him as the embodiment of evil, and he became the most infamous cult leader in U.S. history. While most who heard of Manson reviled him, 
there were some who found his unhinged mind and violent attitude appealing. One of these people was 16-year-old Afton Burton, who initially learned about Manson in 2004. Afton had first heard about Charles Manson from a friend. She claimed to have fallen in love with Manson when she heard Manson's environmental creed, Atwa, Air, Trees, Water, Animals. She began writing letters to Charles Manson, and in 2007, when she was 19, Afton moved from her hometown in Illinois to Corcoran, California, where Manson was imprisoned. There, she was able to meet Manson in person, and the two began a romantic relationship. After several years of getting to know each other, they applied for a marriage license, and Afton was thrilled to become Mrs. Manson. Or at least, that's what Afton claimed. According to an article published in the New York Post in 2015, Afton cozied up to Manson solely to acquire the rights to his corpse. Under California law, a spouse possesses sole rights to the corpse of their wife or husband. If Afton had married Manson, the state would have turned his body over to her without any dispute. She and a friend then intended to have Manson's body preserved, placed into a glass coffin, and displayed in a tomb with a steep entrance fee. Her relationship with her dastardly beau was actually a get-rich-quick scheme. As it turned out, Manson had known she wanted his corpse prior to her proposing marriage. She asked him to sign a document granting her possession of his corpse, but he balked at the idea because he thought he would live forever. She then moved to her backup plan, marriage, and Manson agreed. But as time passed, Manson waffled on the idea, delaying the nuptial indefinitely. Whenever Afton thought the marriage was about to happen, something would interrupt their plans. Manson would be thrown in solitary confinement or sent to the hospital. While they had an official marriage license, by the time Manson died in November 2017, Manson and Afton had remained unmarried. Afton still made public claims to Manson's corpse, but within only a few days, she received some stiff competition. Michael Bruner, one of the illegitimate sons Charles Manson had fathered with one of his followers, requested his father's body as next of kin. Then a man named Michael Channels, a longtime pen pal of Manson's, appeared in court with a will that he claimed he had received from Manson himself. But the document was suspect, considering that Manson claimed to be immortal. To make matters stranger, a second group showed up in court with a second will. This one was filed by Ben Gorecki and Matthew Lentz. Gorecki had been a friend of Manson's for years, and Lentz claimed to have been fathered by Manson at an orgy. Finally, Jason Freeman, the grandson of Charles Manson and the son of Charles Manson Jr., also claimed ownership of Manson's estate. Charles Manson Jr. was the only son of Manson's who had been born within the confines of marriage, and as such, he was Manson's only legitimate heir. 
the war for Manson's corpse raged in court for months as four different parties all had four different claims to his estate. They all filed lawsuits against each other for making false claims. After weeks of deliberation, a judge granted Jason Freeman ownership of his grandfather's corpse. Freeman then had Manson's body cremated and scattered his ashes on a hillside. The ash scattering was a small ceremony with only Manson's closest friends in attendance. Afton Burton managed to get an invitation. As she watched Manson's ashes spread throughout the wind, none could tell if she was saying goodbye to her lover or to a paycheck she had worked years to earn. Whatever the case, with Manson's story finally resolved, most of the world could finally move on. His evil had at last been purged. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you would like to learn more about Charles Manson and his vile posse, listen to our episodes of Cults on the Manson Family. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Giles Hovseth. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 